It would. Yeah, it's great. Well, do you want the good news or the bad news first? Good news. Well, I'm the recipient of countless acts of kindness. Um, I love it. I love when people are kind toward me, and uh, my suspicion is that you probably do too. It makes you feel highly valued, right? When somebody does something nice or says something nice or smiles or remembers your name or in some way, shape, or fashion communicates kindness to you. We all like that, right? If, if we don't, then we've got other issues. But we love that kindness. The trouble is that often uh, these days in our world, that's not what we experience. I was talking with a young woman uh, over the Christmas break, and, and we were talking about um, the fact that she is no longer on Facebook. And I said, well, why, why have you left? And she said, well, to be honest, uh, and this was during the time of the elections, our federal elections, and she said, it's just been so nasty and so mean-spirited. The things that people have said about Stephen Harper and his team, he is a family. And she says, just the things that have been communicated have been so mean-spirited that I don't want to be part of that anymore. And she said, and here's the truth, is that some of the people who have contributed to those conversations have been Christian people. Um, and, and you've probably experienced that yourself, where you see a posting posted by somebody that might be controversial, and then it, it polarizes quickly, and somebody gives a different opinion, and it just, like, it just smells bad. Uh, and we're going to talk a bit more about that later on. And this week, you've probably been listening to the news, and you've heard about our friends in the South who are uh, shaping up for the Republican presidential candidate, and Donald Trump and the Pope have been getting at it a little bit. And uh, Donald Trump, you never know what he's going to say. But unfortunately, it's not often very kind. And so we, we live in this reality where people who may be to the South and very influential, the presidential candidate may well be somebody who's quite bombastic, and that scares us. And I think our world um, is desperately in need of a good dose of kindness. I think that often we hear these things, and as we listen to the news this week and we hear about the murder trials, uh, we hear about Gian Gomeshi and so on and some of the things that are taking place, and it just goes, it feels heavy. It doesn't feel good. And what we need and, and what we're going to look at this morning, and, and you're familiar with this passage, I'm sure many of you, from Galatians chapter 5, where we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And I think in order for me, at least, to be kind, that I really, truly need God's help. Because there's times when I lay in bed at night and I think I, I could show kindness toward a certain person, but then by the morning I forget. My intentions are good, sometimes. But I don't always carry through on that. And so I really need God's help. And my suspicion is that you do too. Let me illustrate it this way, just so you know, and all the cards are on the table. So I'm on the Highway 401 a little while ago, and I, years, this rarely happens. <laughs> and I'm on the 401, and um, I'm traveling home from Kitchener, and there's a car in the lane beside me, I'm in the fast lane, there's a car here, and he's kind of weaving in and out of traffic, and so I've got my eye on him, wondering what's going to happen there. And sure enough, there's not much room between me and, and the, the car in front of me, not a safe to... Anyway, he comes in and cuts me off, 
And my reaction wasn't that kind. So he, he moved over, and then I, you know, started to accelerate to get up beside him. And it was about the point where I got about a third of the way up his car because I was trying to see if he, honestly, to see if he looked as stupid as he drove, right? <laughs> so I got up about a third of the way, and then that's when I noticed that on the back trunk of his car was one of those blasted fish. <laughs> you know, those things... Those things that declare that somebody is, is a believer, a Christian follow, a Christ follower. And so then this verse came back to my mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so I moved back. <laughs> and I thought, I'm called to be different. I'm called to show kindness. And, and I don't always take those opportunities, um, but I need to do that. I need to be different. I want us to look at Galatians chapter 5, and, and I just want to say a few things um, before I do look at it. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I love to know the context of when I read a Bible passage, like what's going on? Why is the writer writing this way? What's going on in his mind? What's he talking about? And in Galatians, in case you're not familiar with it, um, Paul, the apostle, um, there's a lot of things that are making him angry. <laughs> uh, if you know about Paul, he was on his way to Damascus, um, and he saw a bright sun that knocked him off of his horse, and Jesus uh, appeared before him in all of his glory and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And made himself known to Paul, and it radically transformed his life. It changed the way he did everything. He stopped persecuting people. He started to be kind. And then and Jesus actually said to him, I'm going to make you an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to make you somebody who goes and tells other people in other lands about Jesus. So Paul has this miraculous experience. He, he knows who God is. He feels passionately about who Jesus is. And then these people in the church in Galatia actually say, eh, you're not really an apostle. Apostle means one who's actually seen Christ. They say, you're, you're not that. So he's a little bit worked up. And then the other big thing that's going on in this story is that some people are saying, um, they, they're called Judaizers. They say, uh, well, when somebody comes to know Christ, when they surrender their life to him, they know Jesus. That's cool. But in order to keep up with our historical faith, they actually need to keep the Jewish law. To the point where they need to be circumcised. And so um, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. If, if that happens, okay, and if people start following the law, then you've made what Christ did on the cross nothing. Okay, because he displayed his grace, his unmerited favor toward people. If you try and keep the law and tell people they have to do that, then what Jesus did and the miracle of his grace means nothing. It's negated wiped out. So Paul's trying to set the record straight in talking to these Galatian people, and, and you'll hear quite a striking contrast as I, as I read this story or this passage, and you'll be familiar with it. Um, it'll be pretty stark, but it speaks about our lives, really, and the starkness of what our lives can be, because at times, um, we're really ugly, and what we're capable of. 
And then on the other hand, we are extremely beautiful. People do all sorts of kind things. And it's, it amazes us. It blows us away. The things that we are capable in both the negative light and the positive. And so let's read this passage here. I'm reading from verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So that, you are not do, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, listen to these lists, and, and um, you, you won't necessarily like hearing this, <laughs> uh, but for our purposes this morning, it's really important that we hear both the dark side and, and the light side. So listen to what the author says here. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So, like, the things are so bad that this list isn't even exhaustive. You caught that little phrase, and the like. Okay, so there's all these bad things that we humans are capable of, and the like. So there's more. Okay? I, th I think we know this too. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to the upside. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, it's an interesting thing. You've got this list of the works of the flesh, which aren't exhaustive, right? So, and it, there's an interesting thing that happens in this passage. I won't bore you with details, but in the original language... Um, there's this list that goes on and on and on. It's a plural list. And then on the other hand, it's singular. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. That's pretty important. Here, I'll tell you why. Because uh, this morning we're kind of focusing on kindness. But here's the deal. Um, if you focus on kindness, because all of those fruits of the Spirit are singular, if you focus on kindness, guess what? You become more gentle. If you focus on gentleness, you become more joyful. Uh, if you focus on what is good and kind, like all these other things creep up in a good way. Okay, they're connected one to another. So it's a fantastic thing. And, and then they're all, you know, somebody else has said they're actually grouped into three different things. There's the love, joy, peace, because that's actually what Christ exemplifies, the love, joy, peace. So you think about Jesus' encounters 
uh, in the gospel stories, and, and just think, you know, John chapter 4, or John chapter 8, uh, where he confronts this woman at the well that nobody else wants to speak to, and she doesn't really want to speak to anybody. She's kind of ashamed of her life. And he gets there, and he has this conversation with her, and I'd like to think, and it's quite believable, that he's looking her in the eye, and he's approaching her with all dignity and kindness. And, and um, at the end of that conversation, you'll remember it, um, she says, when the Messiah comes, he will tell us about all these things. And then Jesus looks at her, and he said, I am he. So, so you get a sense of this kindness of what Jesus is capable of. Love, joy, peace. Uh, the second set is more about um, how we interact with one another, that grouping of three. And then the final one is, is, is about how you think internally, your gentleness. Your, so they affect all of our lives, these fruits of the Spirit, or fruit of the Spirit, I should say it right. So there's this idea, you get the stark contrast, right? Like there's this ugliness and there's this goodness that sort of coexist. And over the course of our lifetime, as we surrender our life to Christ, um, as we yield to what He wants to see happen, ideally we begin to look more like who Jesus is. Um, Adolf Eichmann, some years ago, told a story of or not Adolf Eichmann, sorry, uh, Chuck Colson told, told a story about Adolf Eichmann. In 1963, they captured him and they brought him back uh, to Israel to stand trial. If you don't know this, he was the man who was responsible um, for drafting up what the Nazis called the final solution. So they brought him back to Israel and he was put on trial uh, and they brought countless witnesses to speak against him and the crimes that he did. And Colson tells the story of this one man, and this is a true story. The man came in to testify, and Adolf Eichmann was sitting in the prisoner's dock at the back of the courtroom. And as the man walked up, he lifted his head, and he looked at Eichmann, and then he fainted. And so the people thought, you know, um, what you would probably think, uh, he, he's fainted because he just can't stand to look at this man who's created such, uh, done such heinous crimes. Uh, this despicable man, he couldn't stand to look upon him. Well, they actually revived the man, the witness, and they asked him what had happened, and he said this, uh, when I looked at that man, I said, I am the same, I am capable of doing the same things he did. So you get that, like in, in all of its ugliness, this man looked at his own soul, he had survived these things, but he says, I am still capable of doing those things. It, it's amazing to me. So you've got that, but then you've also got people who show incredible acts of kindness. And I want to suggest to you this morning, in case I don't say it later, um, it's not just that people do acts of kindness, it's that these people who have yielded their lives to Christ who seek to glorify Jesus in all that they do, they actually are transformed. Um, these aren't just transactions. This is a transformation that takes place in their life so that they don't just do acts of kindness. They become kind. You see the difference? The person who allows Jesus to work in their life, they become kind. And our world needs it. It's huge. I remember a number of years ago, I, was, um, I asked the prayer team at our church, I said, would you pray? I desperately need a, a computer 
for my ministry, um, but I don't know where I'm going to find the finances for that. And so the ministry or the prayer team began to pray. Uh, the next morning I got a phone call and this woman said, uh, Brett, are you going to be home for a little while? And I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, okay, I'm coming over. Stay there. So I did. She uh, rang the doorbell. I opened the door and she said, let's sit down for a minute. Um, so we did. We sat down and then she said to me, she said, last night I was praying about your request. And she said, as I was praying, the Lord said to me that I'm to be the one who helps you. And she said, so I want to give you this $1,000 here. She said, I've been saving this uh, to replace my lost engagement ring. But I want you to have it. Isn't it, it it's humbling <laughs> when somebody presents you with that and, and you say, I don't feel like I'm deserved or deserving to get that. And yet, that's who she was. She was very glad to give it. And, and that behavior... Um, it's actually because she's become a transformed person. She's trying to live and show the love of Christ that she has experienced. She's seen the great things that Jesus has done for her. She's grateful, and now she wants other people to experience that. It's, it's who she are. It naturally flows out. It's, uh, Solomon has said, you know, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So if our heart is receiving the right things. If we're being shaped into the image of Christ, you know what comes out is this goodness, this kindness, this gentleness, this self-control, this love. So I want us today, I'm just going to share four things that I want us to um, go away thinking about. Well, not actually, not just thinking about, that I actually want us to do. <laughs> and because I think if we cultivate kindness, uh, it's going to make a world of difference. So there's several truths about cultivating kindness. If you want to put that up there, James, thank you. First of all, it begins with gratitude. Several years ago, a friend of mine, um, we, were, we were sitting by the lake, and he's a wise man, and, and I was describing to him how my soul just felt ugly. <laughs> uh, it was a hard season in life. There had been a lot of bad things happen that I won't um, get into at length. But I just said, Cal, this... I don't feel God. I don't feel His goodness. I don't know where He is. I can tell you things theologically about the goodness of God. I, I've learned those. I've been trained in those. But it's not my experience right now. He said, well, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to just to take your journal um, and, and a pen and, and go sit by the lake for a little while. And he said, what I want you to do is just sit there and think about what things could you be grateful for and try to write down 10 things today in your journal. Do you think you could do it? And I said, well, give it a shot. <laughs> um, but it's kind of miserable. Um, so I sat by the lake and then sure enough, and this will sound silly to you guys, but maybe you've had those times when it's a dark night of the soul or a dark morning of the soul. And uh, sitting there and, and this butterfly flew by above, you know, just above the water on the lake. And I thought, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I wrote it down. Um, you know, a friend stopped by and said hello, and we had a good laugh together. And, and laughter kind of builds up your soul, right? And so I wrote it down. There's another thing. It was pretty easy, actually, to write down 10 things. 
So then he said, um, he kept doing this. He kept upping the ante. He said, so the rest of the week, I want you to sit down and try and write 10 every day. So by the end of the week, I had this list of 70 things that I was grateful for. And here's what I realized, what I recognized. Um, when you are grateful, when your soul feels overwhelmed by goodness, uh, by the things that God has done for you, when, when you feel that way, it's, it's impossible to be cranky. <laughs> it's impossible to be grumpy. It's impossible to be envious. Because you're really glad for what God has done in your life. We don't all have experiences like Paul had where, you know, we're knocked off our horse and we see this blazing light before us. Uh, and you can't manufacture that. I think it would actually be wrong to try. And sometimes people do. Um, but I think it is very appropriate to stop in your tracks sometimes and just to reflect on who God is and what He's done in your life. James Bryan Smith uses this phrase, soul training. He said, we don't, you know, train our souls in spiritual disciplines, which means reading Scripture and praying and giving and attending church and worshiping. We don't do those things that we can check a checklist. We do those things so that on those dark and stormy days, um, we get before God, and it's our natural reflex, it's our reaction to want to spend time with Him. And as we spend time with Him through prayer, Scripture, gathering with other people who believe, that's why a community of believers is so important. As we gather with those people, um, and because our soul is trained, then we begin to realize once again the goodness of God. That's how it works. Our soul is trained, uh, if we allow it, that God's Holy Spirit will work in us, um, that we will be reminded of the goodness of God. So think for a moment, what is it this morning that you're grateful for? Perhaps, you know, it's the person sitting beside you. Um, perhaps it's, it's remembering the salvation that God has brought through Jesus. Maybe it's the fact when you're encountering difficult times that you have people to walk through it with you, that you have somebody to pray to who promises to never leave you or forsake you. Because when we cultivate gratitude, it, it results in kindness and all those other things. Secondly, it results in transformation if we feed it properly. It's a little story that I came across some time ago and, and may be familiar to some of you. And it's an old Cherokee tale um, of two wolves. And I'll just read it for you briefly. One evening, an old Cherokee Indian told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. 
So if you want to exemplify or showcase or display the fruit of the Spirit, to live kindly, we need to feed the right wolf. We need to put ourselves in a position where we can hear from God, where we can be challenged um, and, and encouraged by His goodness. Thirdly, cultivating kindness allows us to say no to indifference. Some of you will be familiar a little while ago, the Pope, um, some people here probably practice Lent, you know, giving up certain things for 40 days before Easter um, so that it draws us closer to Christ and it's meant to be sacrificial and it's a great practice. Uh, but Pope Francis said this, and I, and I think it's profound, he said, instead of this year giving up chocolate or giving up alcohol or giving up something, let us give up indifference. Indifference. I was driving again in Kitchener, um, this is just before Christmas, and I was, happened to be, I was on Fairway Drive at Sport Checked, and I was leaving, and there's a set of lights there, and on the island there was this man who looked somewhat disheveled, um, and he had a sign that said he was homeless, um, you know, can you spare some money for food? And I, I was about the third car back in the light, and so I didn't do anything, I just drove, I turned right and kept going. Long fairway. Um, so, and I was driving to the Bible college where I teach, and I, I got to the light um, at Fairway and Weber, and there was another man, and he's got a sign, um, and he said, I'm homeless. Can you spare some change? But, but I was, you know, I was in the second car. Um, he wasn't right there, so I turned left, and I kept going. And then I went to the Bible college, and I got to thinking, I thought, Wow. <laughs> you know, what about um, Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus says, for, the least, for when you do this to the least of people, it's like you've done it for me. And I thought about these people that I had passed so nonchalantly um, and did nothing. <laughs> I was indifferent. But you can bet later on in that week when I encountered somebody else that I, that, that I actually did something. Because I think when you cultivate grad, kindness, um, it doesn't allow you to be indifferent any longer. You've got to do something about it. Uh, we, we as a church have this great privilege coming up and, and, you know, where we look and listen to the news and we hear about Syrian refugees. And last year we had Maher here. Uh, who talked about what was going on in Lebanon and working in the, in the um, refugee camps. And just, there's this sense of it being overwhelming. Uh, and, it's, and it's easy to be indifferent, I think, because we're overwhelmed. But, but now we've got this um, opportunity to actually participate in helping a family, a tangible thing we can do. And I think as we cultivate kindness, it doesn't allow us to be indifferent anymore. It causes us to say, yeah, I want to help. I want to be part of making a difference. The world needs a little kindness. And the last thing that cultivating kindness does for us is that it assures civility. Uh, one culture watcher has said this, um, that we are presently living in a world that is void of civility. He says, we have to look far and wide to see any kind of kindness. Uh, people have just kind of turned in and become self-possessed. 
They don't seem to care about other people anymore. Um, he said, whatever happened to those people who are kind and good? And I want to talk a little bit about, um, there's an article written by a woman named Rachel Held Evans, and it's, it, it's titled this, How to Be Christian Online. Um, and, and as I read this and interact with, particularly, it applies to all generations, but it happens with the generations younger than me more so and more so. We're just, um, we use social media a lot. We communicate probably about 50% of what we do online. And sometimes what is written online is very unkind. Um, I, I noticed this very powerfully a few years ago. And, and my mother will forgive me. She'll be listening to this sermon later. Um, but my mother is now 88 years old. Uh, when she was 85, my sister had this great idea that we should buy her an iPad. Uh, <laughs> which caused me to work on patience. <laughs> so, and I, and I have a very large family, um, you know, seven siblings. And uh, there's families, you know, they've got children and then there's grandchildren and um, so my mother joined, um, I, you know, the social media world. She got on Facebook, and it's kind of cute, and we, we tease her uh, because, well, for instance, my son Brendan got married in Calgary, and my mother wasn't able to go. So in between the service and the reception, I sent my mom a video, and I said, here, watch this. It's going to be shown at the reception tonight. All you have to do is put your finger on the blue highlighted part. Okay, just touch that blue highlighted part, and some of you have experienced this. Um, and, and then it'll work. You'll be able to see this video. And so she did it. She said, it's not there. I said, <laughs> I said, Mom, it is there. You just put your finger on this blue. She said, Brett, it's not on the Facebook. That's what she called it, the Facebook. And then I said, so, no, I didn't send it to the Facebook. I sent it to the Gmail. So you got to say the Gmail. So she got it, and she watched it, and she, be, you know, she started to cry on the phone. It was rather cute. Um, but she's joined this world of, of Facebook now, and, and she's on there um, quite a bit. Here's what's become very apparent to me is that she grieves because her children and her grandchildren post things that are horribly unkind. Um, that are things that we shouldn't be posting, things that we to just have no good value for anyone. And sometimes I think, you know, us as Christians, we think, you know, I'm going to post this online, I'm going to post this view because this person declares how I really feel, and I'm going to post up this thing that's controversial. Um, and then what happens is somebody else posts up something that is diametrically opposed, and then the conversation goes like this really quick. It escalates and it gets nasty and mean-spirited and it's unkind. And if you're tempted to do that because you think that's a good place to converse, don't. Uh, here's what I've been reminded of, thinking of John chapter 17, Jesus is alone in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, and at the end of his prayer he says this, um, be united so that the world may know. So when Christians are arguing and they seem nasty toward one another, it is an unbelievably embarrassing witness who Jesus is. If you have an opinion that you want to express that's opposed to somebody else, message them individually. Okay? Just be very aware that people are watching, that people are listening, that it's not necessarily what's taught but what's caught. 
And so how we conduct ourselves is incredibly important. Let's be civil and kind to one another. You know those people that you encounter when you look at them and then they smile at you and their whole face lights up um, and, and you've got their attention. They listen, uh, what somebody has called listening generously. That's an act of kindness that communicates to that person that they have incredible value. I want to close um, by reading this passage from Galatians again, but I'm going to read it from the message. Um, and it's a bit longer, so hang in with me. But it just speaks very powerfully, very beautifully to what God is calling us to. Here it is. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Isn't that exhausting? It's absolutely exhausting. Why live that way? Listen to the contrast of what he communicates on the other side. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard, things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our hands or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us is better than the worse or another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Let's close quickly with just this little illustration. When we treat people kindly, here's, here's what I think happens. Um, when a spouse communicates to another spouse in a way that is kind, that person feels built up and that they feel like they can take on the world. When a child talks to a parent um, and they show respect and they act kindly, that makes all the difference in that relationship, doesn't it? When a parent talks to a child with kindness... It builds that self-esteem in the child. Leonard Sachs has said this um, just recently. He said, the greatest thing a family can do for their children is to pass on a sense of humility. 
humility, that list of fruit of the Spirit is not exhaustive. But when we treat one another with kindness in our families, that becomes a very powerful place to want to be. When we communicate kindness to other people in our church, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. I had lunch years ago uh, with a friend who called me up and he says, I want to talk to you. Can we get together? I want to talk about what your church believes. I said, all right. Um, so we sat down and I began to tell him what Presbyterians believe about Reformed theology and he, about 30 seconds in he goes, no, 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 no. No, that's not what I mean. He says, you know me. I said, yeah. He says, I want to know if I come to your church and people find out about who I really am, are they going to treat me kindly? I'm happy to tell you he's been at our church for about 12 years. <laughs> so there's this remarkable opportunity when we express kindness to people that it builds up their sense of value. It makes all the difference in the world. If we treat people that way, truly the way that Christ expected, it changes our hearts. We are much happier to live with ourselves, and it makes a huge difference for the sake of Christ. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that is ours um, this morning to pray, to be with you, to sing of your goodness. I pray that even in this hour and in our encounters out in the atrium and, and wherever we go today, that our hearts would be bolstered by knowing of your great love. That we would be able to express to one another the goodness of who Jesus is. Father, may you be glorified in all we do. For we pray in Jesus' name. Brett, for your, for your message this morning. It really spoke to my heart. <laughs> and I guess I just want to say to all of you, thank you for the kindness that you've shown to Brennan and I as we've, you know, made the move here. And we've just been so blessed by all of you. Um, we're so grateful for you. And um, I'm so grateful to God for his goodness that he's shown to me and to each and every one of us. And, and I I pray that now as we enter back into worship that we can have an encounter with the love of God and that as we encounter the love of God, we're equipped and filled so that we can go out and show that love to our world who so desperately needs the love of God. And so let's stand and, and let's just sing praise to our good, good Father. <laughs> 